You have unlocked the eternal link to internal source. The key of imagination. Your admission. Access to the enlightened dimension. A gateway at the junction of darkness and light. The place at which the chaos of our conditioned frame of mind give way to a life in constant flux, only to be mastered through vigilant discipline. Peaceful times may come, testing times may go. This is the ebb and flow. Hey everybody, welcome to the Ebb and Flow podcast. I'm your host, Eben Britton. I hope you guys are staying safe and staying sane out there in this wild time we find ourselves in. Very excited for our guest today. He is a truth seeker to the nth degree, a guy I really appreciate. If you haven't already, be sure to check out his Instagram, Food Lies. Um, he's a filmmaker and I think he's got a lot of awesome information. Brian Sanders, welcome to the podcast, my brother. Thanks so much for having me, man. Absolutely, man. I'm uh, I'm excited for you to download us on some of this information that you share, um, both with your upcoming film and on your Instagram. I think it's super important. Um, you know, food is such a Food is such a fascinating thing because to me, it's a totally integral part of your, an individual's well-being and health. But we've sort of been disillusioned in Western society that it doesn't really matter what you put in your body. You know, and there's a lot of people out there living under this guise, this, you know, falsehood of you can eat whatever you want. It doesn't matter. And the people who are looking great and in great shape, you know, that, those are like the mystical unicorns of the world who have incredible genes, you know, and it has nothing to do with their daily practices, how they eat, how they move, etc. And, you know, a big part of what I appreciate about Food Lies is, you know, you're just looking at the science and the reality of what foods we put into our bodies and how they make, how, what effect they have on us mentally, physically, et cetera, chemically, and you really break that down. So you're a fan or you follow what I've gathered as the sapien diet, mm -hmm. right? So would you take us through, just give us a little background on you, mm -hmm. how you came into this, your relationship with food and what the sapien diet philosophy is all about. Sure. Yeah, it was a long journey. And I, I had, you know, some bad ideas that I gave up along the way. And, you know, I'm, uh, my background is a mechanical engineer. So yeah. I think that helps. I know a lot of great people in my little nutrition world that are also engineers. And they look at things in a different way. And they're not caught up in a certain dogma, or they weren't taught something in medical school for 10 years of their life. And all these, you know, big, important professors telling them this is how it is. You know, and, and I think we're, we're free of that. Being engineers, we look at systems level architecture or root cause problems or mm. just simple truth, right? It's just like, I don't really care. I didn't come into this thinking that I knew the one way to eat. 
And I don't think there's one way to eat. I think there's a framework, right? Then the sapien diet is kind of just a sapien framework. I mean, my sapien, there's a sweet spot that I think is ideal for a lot of people. And I work in a doctor's office with my business partner, Dr. Gary, and we treat patients with this sapien diet, which I think is ideal. But the sapien framework is a bigger way of eating, right? And I spent... I mean, I guess six years of my life trying to figure this out. And, you know, I spent the last two and a half, you know, trying to make this film and really figure it out and dedicated all my attention to it. But I found a lot of things where things line up, right? When it, it, when everything lines up, it starts making sense. You know, if, we'll talk about veganism later probably, but there's very many holes in their ideas, but right, so it's the, they're like, okay, if if meat, eating meat is bad, then why are there tens of thousands of people these days eating only meat, right. and they're completely changing their health for the better? A million, you know, different uh, right. diseases clearing up. They're losing weight. So you know, it's it, it, so so yeah. So I started off by uh, having problems with my health of my own, but I didn't know it. So this is a, it's kind of going back to what you said is where people just assume, oh, you're just magically gifted or you're these great genetics. And I think this is really demeaning because I've always been reasonably thin and athletic because I've worked at it my whole life in one way or another. And when people say, oh, you're just magically like that, or you're just gifted, I'm like, no, I am working out constantly. I was, you know, trying to figure out the way to eat constantly and you know yeah. whether those old ideas I had were bad or not but it was a constant struggle and if I didn't do that I would be skinny fat mm. right I would yeah. be a guy with skinny arms and legs and a fat belly and look terrible <laughs> <laughs> and so I find it really yeah it's just it's almost just like fat shaming it's just like you you, you can't or it's, it's just a meaning that people think it's this cop out that they think that you're just magic in a way. So, so I don't want to make this go on forever, but I had a, no, it's all good, man. Yeah. Well, my family too. So that kind of shakes things up, right? When you you see your family members kind of go downhill and my family, my parents are a little older and they subscribe to the main dietary advice we've been given. Right. And we, we ate this way. We ate the food pyramid. We made our own meals. We didn't go out to eat. It was like a big treat to go out to eat. People go out to eat like every meal these days, you know, ours was like, wow, it's like twice a month. We get to go to McDonald's and we get like one, you know, little burger and that's it. Otherwise we were making our food low fat, all the same things we were told. So then they got, yeah, you got these chronic diseases. They got cancer and Alzheimer's, mm. you know, I lost mm-hmm. both my parents. So that had to let, let me go down this route. Yeah. Yeah. For me, you know, food has been, it's been very intuitive. Um, you know, I was blessed by parents who were very holistically minded individuals. You know, you eat, eat organic eat whole foods, drink plenty of water, get plenty of exercise. And, you know, for the most part, your body takes care of itself, you know, and we don't go to doctors, you know, going to a doctor is like for something very severe, 
You know, you only go and you get prescribed some medication for something if you're in completely dire straits. You know, that was kind of how I was raised. And, um, you know, my, my mother in her 50s was diagnosed as pre-diabetic. And she has very, um, her insulin, her, she doesn't produce any insulin anymore. So her diet has mm-hmm. gone stricter and stricter over the years. Like she's, she's done plant-based, she's done keto, she's done high protein, high fat. She's, you know, she's got run the gamut to finally getting to this like cal- calorie restricted diet. You know, it's super restricted. She can't eat any sugar or else basically, you know, she gets all this inflammation. She has tingling through her entire body you know, pins and needles. And, you know, she's in horrible shape for three or four days. Um, And that's very similar to my system. You know, it wasn't long before, you know, I played pro football. And for years, I had to keep my weight over 300 pounds. Mm. You know, it was massive, you know, three massive meals a day, combined with, you know, two or three protein shakes you know, and just getting as many calories as possible into my body. And by the time my career, I played for six years in the NFL. And by the time, you know, my career was coming to an end, I was so tired. I was so exhausted, you know, just from the the sheer amount of food I was taking in. And intuitively, I always felt, you know, when I ate the rich carbohydrate full meals, I felt sluggish. I felt that massive insulin surge that I associate with high sugar, high carbohydrate meals. And I was like, you know, I don't think it's just intuitively without understanding the science and of, you know, what's happening chemically. I was always like, I don't think I should eat a meal. You know, there should be a time when I eat a meal during the day and I feel like I need to take a nap afterwards. You know, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, just as far as like what my what I'd like my life experience to be, you know, and so my food journey has been very intuitive over the years, you know, and getting to something that I would consider probably close to what the sapien diet is, you know, I'm eating very high quality whole foods, I eat zero, just about zero starch every once in a while, I'll throw a sweet potato in if I'm feeling super depleted but like no bread, no processed flour, no rice, no pasta. You know, it's very high fat, high quality protein. I'm getting those like dense nutrient vegetables, mushrooms, dark leafy greens, etc. And that's worked for me, you know, combined with very steady intermittent fasting, you know, very few days a week do I eat before 2 p.m. And I feel fucking great. Like I've got more energy than I've ever had in my whole life. And I feel, you know, and people have told me, Eb, you look younger than you did when you played football, you know, and I feel better. And so I think that, you know, going back to that idea and what you've really, where does this come from, Mm. this food psychology, you know, that. And I love that, you know, you, I think you highlight it. And I've also seen uh, Sean Baker, the carnivore guy, 
highlight it as well. The standard American diet is is sad for sure. Yeah. You know, it is. I, yeah. So talk a little bit about that. Like, how did we get here? And what, you know, what, what is the common American sort of, what is this sort of idea that they're functioning under? Yes, this is a great question. It took me years to figure it out too. And it's kind of what we cover in the film. So there'll be a, a lot of more detail in this. But before I go on, I want to hit some of this stuff about your, your family, and your parents is it's all related though. We, yeah. there's this psychology, there is this idea we've had for decades of what healthy is. And it sounded like your parents had this kind of standard view, but they were better than the standard view. They're, you know, eat organic and exercise and get on the sun and all these great things, yeah. but they still had these problems. That's yeah. the big message that I'm trying to go. Like after all that, they still had the problems because we have these outdated ideas. Hmm. So the, we'll get into why we got these ideas in the first place, but I think that's the biggest problem with our society, our health, everything, is we have the wrong ideas about nutrition. So if you start off from this false point, you're never going to get anywhere, right? That's why we have the fat acceptance movement, which I am against. Mm. We, you know, I don't like fat shaming, but I don't like glorifying being overweight. But why we have the fat acceptance movement? Because so many people try what they've been told to do to be healthy and it doesn't work. Mm. So then they assume that this is just me. I am just a, a bigger person right. and I need to accept that. And we need to accept everyone is beautiful. Right. And I'm saying, no, I mean, you can say you're, uh, people can say you're beautiful and I, that's fine. That's sure. in the eye of the beholder sure. as, as Bill Maher just went on this rant, actually, he, it's great because he, he's a very liberal guy, yet he is agreeing with these non-liberal views of that we can't just have fat acceptance. And he said, he said the same thing I'm saying is that we shouldn't fat shame, but we cannot say that it's healthy to be that way. And I can see why we got there, right? Because we have said you need to eat all these grains and, and low fat or this, you know, tons right. of vegetables, tons of fruit. This is the only way to be healthy is eat tons of fiber, tons of fruit, tons of vegetables. And we don't really know. Now we're kind of understanding that this is not based on any good science. Mm. And so no wonder it's not working for people. No wonder there's so many people who are overweight doing all the guidelines and thinking they're they're doomed genetically or both of our parents get these chronic diseases right that yeah. that our ancestors didn't get because we weren't doing this we have this idea that our ancestors were living you know in, in a whole foods market of pure fruits and vegetables year round it doesn't make any sense you yeah. know if you just look at think about it for one second you don't need to be an archaeologist or a paleontologist yeah. to figure it out we didn't have this stuff year round. We didn't have it all over the world. Most of humans were living, you know, in northern climates really for much of our evolution. And we, we it was cold year round, right? We didn't have access. We had animal foods. That's the consistent thing we had across the world at all times. We could always get animal foods. We could not always get plant foods. We think that now because we have modern transportation and all these logistics and worldwide trade, that this is how it always was. We don't realize that we didn't have half of these things even a hundred years ago. Like even, you know, some of these foods that we think are normal are only 150 years old, maybe. I mean, all these kale, like some of this stuff is, is just 
it's all comes from a little mustard plant that was small and provided very few calories. And, you know, we didn't really eat much of, but we, you know, crossbred it and did all these things. And now we have Brussels sprouts and kale and stuff. And there's nothing wrong with these foods, right? But it's like, we, we've had this idea that they're magic for one thing, and that we've been, you know, been relying them on them forever. And everything I've seen says the opposite and that animal foods will be been relying on. And I'm going to go to Africa. If this COVID thing didn't happen, I'd be in Africa right now mm. with these tribes. Uh, there's a woman out there who invited me to come visit the Hadza and the Maasai and some other, those are the two famous ones people might've heard of, but yeah. I'm, you know, there's a bunch of other ones. So, wow. Got off track there for a second, but <laughs> no, not really, dude. I want to, I want to bring you back to one thing you hit on was, you know, how, where did this idea come from that grains and vegetables and fruits and fucking, you know, where did this food pyramid idea come from? Like when yeah. did that start? Yes. This was super interesting to me because I didn't know either and you can trace it and it, it goes from mainly the 1880s to the 1980s. It's a very, you can see this exact progression of why we thought this. And in the 1880s, this was when this was the woman's temperance movement. This was when we were kind of moving from from the the farms to the cities. So we had the meat wasn't fresh. We weren't living on farms eating fresh meat, right? Mm-hmm. So now we had to transport it. We didn't have refrigeration, and so maybe it was going bad. Maybe you know we weren't getting as much of it. So we also had this time when we didn't have clean water, and people were drinking a lot. And then there, like I said, the women's temperance movement where, you know, this was a bad time for women. They didn't have as many rights and, you know, husbands were angry and drunk and beating them. And so there's this idea that meat, red meat made men violent. I think this is what I found. And I've I've listened to some great stuff and talked to some great people, Gary Fetke and his wife, Belinda, they do a lot of work exposing this story. And it's it's the Seventh Day Adventist Church. So this is the 1880s. I mean, I don't know how detailed we want to get, but there's a woman named Ellen G. Give White, and she us, had dude. she had visions uh, that you know that that you know God wants people to be pure and not eat meat because she saw around you know around them they were these associations, right? We didn't have great science in the 1880s. Right. You, you see men they're like swigging wine and beer and you know eating meat. eating meat and they're like oh man like this must be this this toxic masculinity <laughs> you know it's like interesting right yeah so that's where it really started it was this religious undertone she had visions and then it moved so it was really the seventh day adventist church really got a lot of us they, they promoted the garden of eden diet that was this pure diet yeah and it was it was all plants and you know fruits and vegetables and this is the garden of eden and so then that moved into the, the turn of the century and uh, Kellogg's. Everyone knows Kellogg's yeah. cereal. John Harvey Kellogg was part of this. He was part of the Seventh-day Church. He, w- he was actually like a typesetter, for, you know, printing out publications that they were trying to promote. There's this whole story of these people trying to kind of, part of it was even suppress people's sexuality. There's this whole weird undertone of, of sexual suppression where he mm. believed as when uh, Kellogg grew older, he started, you know, these cereal companies because they believed that eating bland foods would make boys stop masturbating. Mm. 
Mm. <laughs> they yeah they thought and that this was like a sin right it was this whole seventh day adventist like sin you know that everyone knows that some of these religions you know it's like oh it's like taboo for sex yeah. or taboo for masturbation so he, this there's this whole movement in the 19 te- the teens and the 20s and all these serial companies popped up and uh, they they just started pushing this idea that it was a more pure diet to have these grains and then I read about Kellogg. I didn't know that he was tied to this church. That's fascinating. It makes, it makes sense. When he was young, there's this whole story that he was, yeah, he was in there when he was a young boy, like getting influenced. And I don't know if there's more to it, but it, it's weird. And then, so then it gets into the forties and fifties and then president Eisenhower had a heart attack. So then we, we, and we created this whole epidemic around heart disease. We're like, oh my God, we're, oh. and, and part of it was because people were smoking a lot, right? This was like right in the beginning of all the smoking when it was really catching up. It was also in the beginning of processed foods after World War II, we had way more processed foods. We like, you know, there was way more cereals and grains like, you yeah. know, being spread Powered by people like Kelly. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah. Like rations for the you know mres and the military powdered yeah this and and then there's also these vegetable oils like these seed oils Mm. are not good right these seed oils we thought that these were healthier alternatives to butter and and they were more pure again there's this always this messaging of their message to housewives like be more pure and be modern and use margarine and these spreads Mm. and not like not not like your grandma like she's using lard like what an old idiot you know that type of messaging and so then it it kind of just kept going, right? Each decade, they had a new idea. They, what they, they would blame meat on something else, right? Mm-hmm. So they blame it on heart disease. Then they, then they started blaming it on the environment, right? Then we get into the 60s and 70s, this hippie movement. And then it's like, oh, you know, this, animals are ruining the world. Like cows are bad, man. You know, they're, yeah. they're so bad for the environment. And, you know, that's a whole other story that I can debunk. And, you know, yeah. I've done presentations on it and I, it's going to be in the film. But then even later, we get into the 70s, 80s, then we blame it on cancer, 90s. You know, it just keeps shifting. And then I interviewed a guy who was part of the WHO panel in 2015 that said that meat was a carcinogen and said that it causes cancer. And there's so little evidence, and that's a whole other story itself, that there's no good evidence that shows that it caused cancer. There was this tiny little increase, but he was in this group at the WHO panel, he's a USDA PhD. And he told me, I got special clearance to interview him. He said they were a bunch of vegan and vegetarians with an agenda and they ignored his science that said otherwise. And they completely ignored studies. So it keeps, you see how it keeps going. And now it's like these Hollywood actors, they're, you know, they're on this mission of, oh, meat is bad. Meat is bad. It just, it's been maligned for all of history, but like recent history, but if you look at the the lion's share of history, it was highly revered. It was the pillar of health. It was sought after. Everyone knew it was healthy. Hmm. Meat. 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 Yes. yes. Everyone knew meat was healthy. Animal foods for all of history were regarded as the best foods, the healthiest. And so it it's just weird how it just shifted. You know, it just kind of yeah. just shifted. And some of it's just bad science too, where we couldn't really uh decipher if it was or you know the meat or it was the breads you know it's like we had all these new things in our diet and we just blamed it on the wrong thing 
All right. Well, let's, I'd like to just start breaking this stuff down. So first of all, let's talk about the meat industry's impact on the environment and how that's one of these like, you know, key point arguments from the vegans um, that, you know, meat is bad. Meat's mm-hmm. bad, not only for our bodies, but now it's bad for the environment and our planet. So let's talk a little bit about that. So that's all about the CO2 emissions that's coming from meat processing as well as like cows farting. Is that yeah. right? I mean, I, I, I kind of, yeah, they, they, there's, they do a life cycle analysis and the, there's methane from actually more burps than farts. Okay. And there's That's also, weird. it's the yeah, gas from the animals. The gas. And then there's also, yeah, I mean, there's just, I guess, uh, energy associated with producing meat, but uh-huh. they also, this is, they always lump in these, all the giant things. Like, so here's an example. They take the rain that falls on fields. Okay. I'll start earlier. All cows spend the first two thirds of their life on pasture. Uh-huh. Okay. They're all on pasture. It's called the cow calf operation. And then a lot of them get sent to a confined feeding operation, right? Which is quote factory farm. And then they, you know, are in smaller quarters and they eat different foods, but they spend the first two thirds of their life on pasture. No one talks about it. The people, the animal rights people think that make you think that they're locked up in a cage forever. This is not sure at all. So when they're on pasture for the first two thirds of their life, there's sun, there's rain, there's grass. This is all just a natural free cycle. This is how nature works. This is how animals have lived for all of history. You know, people probably know there's tens of millions of bison roaming North America for hundreds of thousands of years, right? This is, it's just a natural system. There was no climate change. There was no, you know, methane problems with their burps. So so it's just funny. So one thing they do is they'll add in all the rain, like these bogus people who make these, uh, these numbers that make me look bad is they'll add the rain that falls on the field for those two, th- you know, for their life. And they'll, they'll calculate that into this big emissions and CO2 or energy impact. Right. So then, and then they'll, they'll count all the crops. So, so we don't even feed the pure the the straight crop we don't like grow millions of acres of corn and just feed it to cows we grow millions of acres of corn to make biofuel for you know and then we give the cows the leftover products right so it's very efficient they're actually using inedible stuff and producing highly nutritious meat and so then these calculations will include all the supposed you know co2 emissions from growing that corn and they'll include all the water that included growing that corn. And they'll include all the water that fall on those fields. And they'll include all the water that fell on the grass into these calculations. Hmm. So it's insane. So they, no, one, no one really has done the calculation to show what, you know, what's the real edible food that they are eating that uh, humans could have eaten otherwise. Mm. That makes sense. So people say, oh, wow, and they're taking the food. Why not just feed it to us directly? There's all these people in the world. Just grow the corn, feed it to them. That's poor quality nutrition. It's way less protein. It's It's empty carbs, right? It's empty nutrition. And it's cows are eating the food that we can't eat. 
right? We're not just growing it for them. Like I said, they, they use for biofuel and then we leftovers. They use distillers leftovers, right? They, we grow, we make all this beer and then we give them the distillers yeast and the, dist- the distillers grains. I mean, leftovers to the cows. It's great. Yeah. So, so a few statistics is 86% of what a cow eats in its life is not human edible. Mm. Right. So then uh, two thirds of their life, they're, they're on pasture. We can't, most of the land we use to grow cows cannot be used for anything else. Mm. They, this is not cropland. We, we would not just put all these cows on cropland. They're using what's called rangeland, which cannot be used to grow crops. The, you know, this is like rocky, hilly area yeah. where cows can just roam and eat grass. So it, I don't know this, this whole, it's just a political thing or it's just an ideological thing. It's it, if you actually look at the science, meat is actually the best thing we can do because it, it is the most bioavailable complete protein. So that I, I was pointed to a study that shows if you actually look at the digestibility of protein and how, you know, it's quality, it's people don't know plant protein is far less digestible to our bodies and far less complete, right? You need animal protein. And when you do the calculations of what a cow eats, protein-wise, it actually doubles the usability, the, the amount of usable protein that humans get. Does right. that make sense? So like yeah. it eats all this low-quality grass and corn stalks, and it turns it into high-quality protein. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I've seen the memes that it's like, you know, eight ounces of broccoli versus eight ounces of steak. And it's like, you know, you get 40 grams of protein in the eight ounces of broccoli and you get, you know, 40 grams. And, but then it's like, yeah, but you're not getting all of that. You're not digesting all of that. Not at all. Yeah. It's something like it's, it's, you'd have to eat like four pounds of broccoli to get the amount of protein in steak. Right. Right. Um, So the next thing is like, I guess would be to me this idea that meat is a contributor to cardiovascular disease or meat is a contributor to obesity or whatever, all the diabetes, Mm -hmm. cancer, et cetera, which is, it's like, okay, okay. So there's, you, you have, you make all these claims and yet what's kind of been brought to light in the last, I don't know, five six years as far as i can tell this group of people who are documenting this carnivore diet and this carnivore lifestyle and i'm i'm you know i'm a guy i i'm not biased at all i just want truth i want facts you know my whole life around food has been based on my experience strictly my experience and nothing else because i i've learned that i can't trust any fucking thing coming out of the establishment, you know, because it seems to be all biased, you know, propaganda, it's bought, it's paid for, etc., to give you information to sell products. But you look at these people's stories, and it's, you know, one after another, it cured anxiety, it cured my depression, it, you know, I've gotten healthier in, in the, you know, the last month, whatever the thing is. People have changed their lives, for lack of a better term, switching to a strictly carnivore diet, which is literally just meat or fish or, 
Um, is there any chicken? A little bit of chicken. No, just animal food. Yeah. yeah animal, I mean, any animal food animal. in general, but yes, chicken's not the best. So it's like, how do we, how do we explain, how do you rectify that? You know? Yeah. Well, I, I used to not really understand this stuff. And then I kind of finally talked to enough people and figured it out. It's that the meat is not the problem. The, the, I personally know tons of people who I know a woman who lost half her body weight. She was 280 pounds. And in one year she went down to 140 and, and fixed all her problems. And so did her husband. I know a guy from India. He just, he just random people around the world are just so people know this is amazing. There's tens of thousands of people doing this. Okay. It's so what the, th- it's out there documented. Yes. Oh man. Yeah. I wish I could just point to all these people and show everyone. Cause visually it's amazing. But what it is, is meat animal foods have been prized for all of history. And this was a, you know, the foundation of health, but then we started adding in all these other foods. Like I said, we had the processed foods and the grains and, the, and we actually got way less healthy once we started even 10,000 years ago, right? When we started agriculture, there's a actual market in, you know, increase in disease. We got shorter, our brains got smaller. You can look at the skeletal record. I talked to a professor of archeology span and he said, it's very clear. He's like pre agriculture and post agriculture. You can see it in the, in the bones. You just look at the skeleton. One's shorter. It has all these different lesions that, you know, you can see different problems that they've had because of their poor nutrition. So, so really what happened is meat is a health food and then the new processed foods are bad. But then when we started eating more of them together is where all the problems occur. And mm. so then meat just gets blamed because we have, we're caught up in this idea that breads are healthy and that you need a million fruits and vegetables and starchy foods to be healthy. So if you, you, you look at it under this paradigm of that, you know, it's like this foregone conclusion that, that all the fruits, sugary fruits and starchy foods and breads, it's healthy. So then you, you think, okay, well, then the meat has to be bad, right? But if you yeah. take away this bogus idea that those are necessary, then you, you realize that though the meat isn't a problem. So that's this whole carbon movement is great for, it's a, a huge experiment showing that the meat wasn't a problem, right? They're removing all the other stuff and showing how healthy they're getting and we're, there's actually a Harvard study now on this to, you know, to actually put this in a more clinical setting because it's, it's hard to just go off a bunch of, you know, people's stories, even though there's maybe 10,000 of them. So really what I found is the sapien framework or just this idea that it, you, you just need to not get caught in the middle, uh-huh. right? You need to, there's two sides eat or you can go keto or you can you can do that kind of thing and go very meat heavy or you can go like maybe lower meat and lower fat and people do okay i'm not saying it's ideal but it people like in okinawa people like oh look at these blue zones or look at these people who live long like yeah they're not eating the, the sugar refined grains and vegetable oils they're eating whole foods they're still getting fish and you know they're getting those those very vital animal foods but they're just filling up the rest of their diet with whole foods like sweet potatoes and it's great. Good for them. Yeah. That, like they're, they're on one side of the spectrum. They're doing well. Other side of the spectrum, Sean Baker's crushing steaks doing awesome. The yeah. people in the middle is everyone else. They're eating the, both of the foods combined that, and they're having all the problems. So that's yeah. a simple way to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that's been, uh, I have found to be a truth for me 
is that food combinations are the most important thing to look at. You know, like you basically the worst possible thing you could imagine eating is a steak and potatoes. Kind of, or, or like something worse, like bread. Say like yeah, like a steak and bread, because yeah. even it's just it's you're getting the high carb food and the high fat food at the right. same time, and those just don't really mix well with our bodies, in our bodies. Yeah, um, and I can, there's science you can you can you know go into why there there's this whole like Randall cycle. It's like well, basically you're getting competing fuels, right? right. Carbs and fat are fuel sources. Protein is the you know the baseline, the building blocks. And if you're getting two fuel sources, your body's like, this is too much. What do I yeah. do with it? I, I need to get the glucose out of my system. And I, then I have all this fat as well. So it also even just your gut hormones. Like if you're eating, I was looking at some cool studies of they show people, they look at when you eat a, a fat and carb meal together, that all these different uh, parts in your gut, these hormones are released and your insulin goes up and your blood sugar. And, and you know, we can see that it's because we're eating the, the fat and the carbs together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm there, man, there's so much I want to talk to you about. One thing um, that I forgot to mention about the carnivore diet, which I think is really fascinating. And you link it to, you know, the, just sort of the, <laughs> the insane level of, autoimmune disorders that we're seeing in our country that are like these mystery diseases that doctors can't even figure out and explain. And the link between those and what people are eating, not to mention, you know, all the prescription medications that, you know, people are being pumped full of across the country. But, you know, the way that, you know, when you're eating genetically modified foods that are have been created in a lab and you know people like bill gates are going around saying that the body can't tell the difference between a genetic genetically modified organism and a something that you know mother earth herself is creative you know our bodies you can't tell me there's not a, a serious link between the foods that people are eating i.e the sad standard american diet and the prevalence of all of these mystery diseases that people are seeing right now. It's, it's certain. So this is, I, I get into a lot of this study, studying this stuff of, we call them the diseases of civilization. We didn't have them before, right? Like, so there, there's almost two waves. You're talking about like this new wave of, of autoimmune diseases, right? So there's the first wave of chronic disease we never had before was, you know, obesity, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, cancers. Like we did our ancestors look at native living people, as I mentioned in Africa. Do live into their 70s and 80s as native living hunter-gatherers. So that whole argument that, you know, people have is wrong. That was an average age that was brought down by infant mortality and, you know, kids dying and all these other things they died of, they died of infectious diseases, viral infections, not the chronic diseases. And so nowadays we, we dive all these chronic preventable diseases. And then there's this autoimmune thing you're talking about too. And it, what's really interesting is a lot of people are curing their autoimmune diseases that people didn't think was possible 
using an animal-based diet, using yeah. a sort of carnivore diet. And there's a place called Paleo Medicina in Hungary where they're doing this. They're, they're doing amazing things and people are rejecting it, even though they're scientifically documenting it, of people reversing type 1 diabetes that we've never seen before. If they catch it early enough, people who are treating cancer with just this animal, it's a high fat, it's a very ancestral diet of just mm. a lot of fat and meat and that's it. And so, yes, the autoimmune diseases are very, very likely coming. Well, we know it's something about our environment, right? So the environment is the food or the actual environment, you know, be the air, you know, pollution. There's all kinds of stuff. But the food really affects your body the most, right? You're, you're eating yeah. it yeah. in great amounts every day. And so a lot of these are coming from plant foods, actually, right? Yeah, we're, we're having like GMO, like crops just covered in, Monsanto laden uh, chemicals, you know, yeah, glyphosate and atrazine and all this type of stuff. So the, these things are very related to your, your health and your gut, right? This is really interesting is a lot of the uh, glyphosate stuff actually interacts with your gut. It interferes with more stuff in your gut bacteria than anything really, but that gut bacteria is so important. And if you have a disrupted gut, then you, this is what, where these problems come from. You know, people have, uh, there's all kinds of like uh, SIBO, small, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, or they have leaky gut. Yeah. They have all these things, right? This is kind of the starting of autoimmune issues where your gut it becomes permeated, right? And this membrane and these bad things go into your body where they're not supposed to be. And this, like, we're learning more and more about this every day, right? It's so interesting. Even anxiety, you mentioned anxiety in the beginning. Yeah. These things people are thinking these good scientists like i know some good phds from harvard talking about this that this is why people are having mental issues even yeah. like all kinds of autoimmune your gut gets disrupted we know about this gut brain access we know yeah. how connected they are and these proteins right so all these different proteins are getting where they shouldn't be and and it's causing havoc in the body and people who are listening who don't know a lot about this nutrition stuff they think it's kind of wacky to be like, hey, you know, I, you know, there's thousands and thousands of people getting off all medications for, for mental disorders, get it, completely curing their depression, anxiety, just from the food they eat. Yeah. It sounds crazy, but it's not. And it's, 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 there's, it's very scientific, really. Absolutely, man. And that, you know, that's kind of what uh, intrigues me, fascinates me the most is, you know, how did we get to this point where, because to me, it seems so obvious. You put something in your body that is going to have a direct effect on your overall well-being, how your body functions, how your brain functions, how you feel. Um, and so like, how did we get to this fucking point where people just refuse to believe that you know, the foods you're eating have any effect on how you're feeling. It's, it's really great. Even your skin. It's like people, yeah. I went to a dermatologist. I've always had like little skin problems. Just my family. That's just, mm -hmm. we just have skin problems. And I went to the doctor. I'm like, Oh man, my face, it's like kind of red. You know, I get this type of thing. It's, I think it's cause the food I eat and the, the lady like laughed me out of the room. Right. She's like, I'm like, and then everyone else I talked to is like, a hundred percent it's what yeah. the food you eat but this dermatologist was like what are you talking about yeah, no. i'm like how is it not the yeah, food i eat cream 
how is it not the food I eat? Like, what do you think? There's this just magic thing that just happens to my skin? No, it's it's like it's your body yeah. is is, a, is most affected by what you. So, how do we get? I love theorizing about this. I don't have any you know great things, but it, part of it is this like super like hippie liberal type of idea that everyone is like a delicate rainbow right? and that, you know, it's like you, and it kind of just goes where, where people don't want to take responsibility for their, their own. That's a big thing. Diet, right. Huge thing. People don't want to take responsibility for anything in their life. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's a lot. So half of it is that kind of message where it's like, you're a special snowflake and you know, it's just your genetics and it, you, you don't have to listen to someone and tell you to eat healthy. You can eat whatever you want. And half of it is just the bad science, right? You just, yeah. you kind of just go down. There's this momentum to yeah. bad science. It's called generational knowledge. Like I said, I, I wasn't in medical school getting taught by all these professors that they're, you know, this is the generational knowledge that everyone, you know, indoctrinated with indoctrinated so if i think what's good is that it can change that we're hopefully on a shift where we're doing new science and not buying into this this old ideas yeah man well i think that's you know that's why guys like you are so important you know just to shine a light in these dark places and our understanding so i want to shift gears a little bit and i want to talk i want to get into the uh, veganism debate mm. for a minute, um, and particularly focusing on that film Game Changers because I know you did a great debunking of a lot of their shit. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was fun. And uh, you know, I mean, it's pretty straightforward. If you haven't seen the film Game Changers, it's basically talking about how athletes of all sports, whether you're a strength and power athlete to an endurance athlete, you're maybe you can optimize your performance by switching to a vegan diet. And the way they go about it is they go into some sort of archaeological history, which I don't really understand how they get to these points that, you know, Roman gladiators were only eating plants and seeds. <laughs> and to you know, the, the guy who ran the, who, you know, the documentary was sort of focused on, he's a UFC athlete or an MMA guy who switched over to a vegan diet during a bad injury. And he talks about how, you know, much more endurance, et cetera, that he had. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about that. And uh, I want to hit on, you know, sort of the common vegan arguments of why being a vegan is healthier for you. And then there's some things I want to hit specifically about the documentary <laughs> that I thought were just like blasphemous. That, yeah. You know, my wife who, you know, she, she thinks I'm a little extreme, but uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you about some of their procedures and processes that I thought were totally just bogus watching it from my understanding you know, as a pro football player, you know, and so let's mm -hmm. get into that, man. Yeah, that, and, and it's great that I had a, a huge su support from a bunch of doctors, scientists, and great people to, to make this film and debunk all this stuff. And yeah, like Sean Baker was in it, and, and Paul Saldino is a great doctor who, who's a carnivore guy and who's in it. And we, yeah, we break it down. Like the, 
the main thing people need to know about veganism, my problem with veganism is it's just confusing the public. This is my main problem. It's like, you can eat whatever you want. I'm not going to come into your house and tell you what to eat. But you, this vegan movement is confusing people because now people don't know what to, they think veganism is healthy. There is not a healthy way to eat. And, and we can, I can tell, you, you know, can myth bust any studies you want to, to, to show that. So, the, the, so I, you get this high level thing. It's just confusing. If you're saying veganism is healthy and then we have all this other data and the whole history of human evolution showing that meat is healthy, then the average person is like, what the hell? Like, I don't get it, right? I don't get it at all. So that's my main problem with them. And second is, yeah, well, they just spread misinformation. It's, it's basically, a, it's a agenda. It's like their own moral agenda or they've decided this and then they kind of backtrack and put, try to, to piece together points and evidence to, to try to make it sound like it's healthy, mm-hmm. right? Or make it sound like it's bad for the environment. Or make, you know, so they kind of, they start with this idea that they, which is fine if you don't want to eat animals because you think it's morally wrong. I mean, you're going against every ancestor. You're going against every bit of human evolution that got you here mm-hmm. because you're healthy because these animals. But if you want to choose that, I don't know why you're trying to backtrack your agenda and, and try to show science that doesn't exist. So for example, for that film, they, they misquoted certain scientists in that section. Like there's a guy, Richard Rangham who wrote a book and they basically just cherry picked this one thing he said to make it sound like he was saying that, you know, plants are all we need, but he actually wrote a whole book on talking about eating meat and, how cooking meat was a huge part of human evolution. So oh, part of it is they just. Hey, dude. Hey, hey. where did cut off? Um, Rangham. Was... Rangham. Okay. Yeah, I can just jump back in. So, so Rangham yeah. wrote a whole book on uh, how eating meat was a crucial part of human evolution. Yeah, yeah. Richard Rangham, it was called Catching Fire. And it was about how fire and cooking food and meat made us human. And, it, and you know, he's, he talked about cooking tubers as well, which is true. I mean, cooking tubers helps release more of the energy. But then they, they'll misquote him and only use that part where he talked about plant foods. So the vegans are really good at cherry picking. That, that's kind of the one main message that you can watch an hour and a half documentary on anything and, and start believing it because you're not hearing the whole story, right? You're not hearing the other side. Yeah. So if there was someone in there in that documentary, or if, if you're watching in a room with me, I would be pausing it every 10 seconds and explaining to you why this is wrong, how they cherry pick this and, and you know, where they're getting this from. So if you say, Oh, yeah. well, why is this population healthy? That is vegan. Well, there, there is no long-term vegan population that's healthy. Oh, well they're mainly plant-based. They're not healthy because they're plant-based. They're healthy because they're avoiding all the bad things. They're doing all these other good lifestyle factors. You know what I mean? There, there's yeah. always, if you, if you stop cherry picking, you'll, you'll see this type of stuff. Absolutely. And uh, what I thought was so, which really just so, sort of boggled my mind because I had, you know, when that, that film came out, you know, I do this podcast called Hot Boxing with Mike Tyson. And Mike has is is like a devout vegan and it works for him and and you know he'll he kind of hits all these points that he's heard and he's understood the biggest thing for mike 
is that he has found that when he eats meat, when his diet is based, you know, significantly in meat and animal foods, he can't take a shit. He gets really constipated. Mm. And he has an easier time having bowel movements when he's more <laughs> vegan dominated. And that's fine. I'm not going to argue with Mike about it. He feels good. I could argue about that for a second. I'll throw this in real quick. It, it's, it what in. Your bo- it's what your body is used to. So there's, uh, there's tens of thousands of carnivores that are <laughs> using the bathroom every day, right? These are, it's just what you're used to and it's what you're eating along with the meat. So, so for one thing, yeah. if you're eating a ton of fiber and then all of a sudden you stop, the next day you're going to be constipated. Mm. But if you transition slowly and get your gut microbiome adjusted, you will be fine. There, you know what I mean? There's tens of thousands of people that haven't touched fiber in a, you know, years. So it, 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 yes, it's just, yeah. it's, yeah, we, we know that. I mean, we know throughout history there's anyway, what, what about all our ancestors who lived through ice ages or lived through yeah. seven, eight months of, of winter? What about the Inuit that lived through nine months, you know, without plant Absolutely. foods? Just like pure fat on seal fat. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, how about all these, you know, tens of thousands of carnivores who are clearly not having a problem taking a shit? Well, there's actually even studies. There's actually studies that show uh, specifically to help the, all the, the side effects and different problems with conservation are improved by a zero fiber diet. I don't remember the name of the study, but they had different groups. And the group that had zero fiber cleared up all their symptoms. They, they, they were, had zero problems. So that's a myth. A complete myth. There, yeah. There's more than that one study. I have them somewhere. I don't know if I can find them for you. Well, when, when uh, I get ready to launch this thing, we'll have some of those studies in the show notes that people sure. can go and check out. Um, so everybody, when this film came out, you know, I work with a guy who's a vegan, like a devout vegan, and everybody's telling me, yeah, but you got to watch Game Changers. Because <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a vegan. And I, I'm just mm-hmm. like, I've, I've dabbled in it, and I haven't really felt like it works for me. It just doesn't work for me, you know? And so I watch this film, and I'm so confused because I'm like, okay, you're talking about how veganism is the way to go, but then you're doing these these sort of pseudo studies where you're feeding guys fucking bean burritos and you're taking blood samples and testing like the platelet plasma levels. And I'm like, if I'm going vegan, I'm not eating fucking flour tortillas and bean burritos. Like, I just don't understand sort of what they were trying to get across with all of that. You know. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a great example of their cherry picking and their it's sensationalism. I mean, that film was spent five, six years, millions of dollars making, you know, they, they knew what they were doing, right? Yeah. They, this was very well planned and very shocking. And they, you know, they had, they had all the right theatrics. It's like the big reveal, all oh, the blood's clear and like, oh, yeah. oh, this one's cloudy. I mean, very planned. And so really that specifically that's a good point. Yes, a, a vegan supposedly should be eating a whole foods plant-based diet and, and that's, they wouldn't be eating a bunch of refried beans that cooked in, you know. It's, yeah, if I was eating vegan, I would be eating as many whole vegetables as I possibly could. I so this is a good point to illustrate why it matters what you eat it with. So maybe back to Tyson. It's good. If you're eating meat and then you're eating a bunch of flour, tortillas, and other 
trash, which most people do. Most people will eat fried chicken. Even in the game changers, the athletes, the other athletes were like, right. I eat fried chicken. I love Popeyes. Yeah. Of course, yeah. that's not good for you. Like that, so it's a combination. It's a food combination. So what that experiment showed is that you shouldn't be eating a high carbon, high fat meal together. Yeah. That, so, the, so yes, if you have a vegan burrito that has a very low fat, right? Very, very low fat. And it's just a bunch of beans and rice and whatever. Some that's, veggies, whatever. That's fine. Yeah. Like your blood plasma will be clear because it's not an excess of energy. And then, so I had three doctors, I had two doctors, well, I had a doctor, a dentist, and some engineers each do that test in my Game Changers Debunked mm. film on YouTube. And they ate high fat meals. They were eating like 100 grams of fat in a meal and all of their blood was clear, right? Because they're not eating a whole bunch of processed carbs with mm. the fat, right? They're eating eggs and steak and lamb and all that type of stuff. So all this shows is in the film, when you're eating a burrito, that's filled with tons of carbs and processed tortillas and whatnot, and a whole bunch of fat, then that's not great. I already knew that. This is what I'm talking about. Like right. we've been talking about the whole time is this is the unifying theory of nutrition. I call it is that you just don't want to do that at the same time. It's, yeah. it's your, your body's like, what the hell is going on? You're giving me too much energy. I have all this glucose and triglycerides running through my system. So yes, that could produce cloudy blood. Because that's just, what that is, is just a whole bunch of extra triglycerides. Triglycerides are the fat, right? So if your body right. is trying to deal with all this glucose and you get all this fat, there's going to be extra fat running around your bloodstream. That's mm. all that, sh that showed. Absolutely. Yeah. That, uh, thank you for uh, just <laughs> illuminating that. Because it, it just, it drove me nuts. I was like, this shows literally nothing. I don't understand what this whole thing is is sort of trying to get at and so and they designed the experiment too they can make it look like whatever they want right they could have redone that a couple times have a guy why don't you just have the guy who eats meat just have him eat a steak mm -hmm. you know if this is about plants versus meat let's let's see what happens when the guy just eats a steak and then let's test his blood you know it'll be clear um well, what about, so the other, the other arguments that I always think are really fascinating that vegans love to throw out are A, our jaw and teeth structures, and then our digestive systems. Mm, yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, our digestive system. So we are made to eat meat because for one thing is the, the acid. The stomach acid is a 1.5, right? So uh, herbivore stomach is, is a seven, right? So this is mm. made for digesting plants. Then you can have our ancestors, monkeys, you know, maybe it was down three, four, five. But humans are down by other carnivores and actually scavengers like hyenas or vultures. Mm. Right? So we have this highly acidic stomach that, because we evolved. So, the, you know, the prevailing theory is that for millions of years, like way longer than, you know, these timescales we're talking about in modern, you know, 10,000 years of agriculture, we were yeah. scavenging meat. We were eating the carcasses of animals that were left by the, the carnivores. And we needed to develop, which is a very expensive process to develop these, this very acidic stomach, right? You don't, evolution doesn't just develop these things for no reason, right? right. It, it, it's very expensive on the body. So it needs to be for a purpose. So it's because we ate, you know, kind of rotting meat, right? We like yeah. a hyena, we're scavengers. And also this 
it shows why we develop our guts change is and our brains change. It's called the expensive tissue hypothesis, where mm. the brain grew, right? And that takes it's highly energetic. Everyone knows like your brain, it's like, oh, it's like it's only like you know, 10% of your body weight, but it does like 30% of your body right. <laughs> energy, something like that, right? It's yeah. expensive tissue hypothesis. So, and we also know that our guts change. So our, our, we, at the expense of our large intestine, which is where we digest plant foods, which is where our ancestor, you know, monkeys, you know, and chimps and all that do all their digesting of plant foods, that got a lot shorter and our brains got bigger. Mm. Right. So that's how we change from our chimp ancestors is we can't digest these plant foods. We don't ferment you know, the, the, the large intestine is where the kind of fermentation happens of plant foods that helps us, our ancestors extract nutrition, but the, the, the small intestine, which we still have is where we digest meat and nutrient dense animal foods. And we can do that just fine. So it's, it's basically, we require Uh, like a lot of nutrient dense nutrition to even just feed our big brains. So that's, that's like the gut and the body. Then you you talked about the jaw and stuff, which is a little bit longer story, but it's, it's kind of around people say, Oh, well, we don't have fangs. Like why, why why are we carnivores? This is the whole thing about humans. We were, we're, we're tool users. Homo habilis means tool using, right? Uh Like we are smart. That's why we're human is because we're smart. So, we process foods outside of our body. We cut, we uh-huh. cook, cook, we ferment, like we do all these type of That's things what, to pre-digest um, the food. Richard Rangham's book is about when we learned how to cook food over fire, that expedited our evolution because it cut down on the amount of time that we had to take to digest these meats. Animals. Exactly. And we can access more of the nutrition. And we... So yeah, I talked to some great other professors about this. It's that's what we did. So that even our teeth size went down. Our teeth size wouldn't have gone down if we weren't doing these things. Mm-hmm. If you look at the our Homo habilis to Homo sapien, it's because we spent more time digesting and cooking food outside the body. Right, P- preparation methods we did. You know, that's why I like fermented vegetables. It, you know, it actually helps us get more of the nutrition out, and it gets some of the bad stuff out. Right, so it's like this is what our ancestors did. They fermented foods. They they did all these different methods to get more of the nutrition. So mm. that's that's why we don't have fangs because we you know we have we developed knives and we developed I mean and we evolved from herbivores, uh, more herbivorous people, uh, animals. But uh, yeah, it's fascinating stuff, dude. Um, well, we're running short on time. And I just, I want to have a chance to talk about your film that's coming up. And if there's something, if you can share what the scope of this film is going to be about, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think we've answered why you're making it throughout the process of this, this talk, but uh, I'm really excited about it, man. And, and when, when can we expect to see that? Yeah, well, we're actively working on it now, daily. I, you know, I, I work with my director and writer friends that uh, are great, and w- we've been working on it daily to try to get on the fall. So that's we're trying to get by the end of the year, really. Yeah. So hopefully, after you know, lockdown, COVID, all this kind of stuff dies out, we'll be ready. 
And it, it kind of tracks a lot of the stuff we've been talking about, right? It, it starts out with human evolution and we move through the whole story of why did we even, if meat was so great for all of history, we knew it was a pillar of health and highly revered. Why do we start thinking it was bad? What is the bad science? And then what is the new science? And, you know, it's showing that it's good. And what is, and then we go to the whole environmental section of why it's not bad for the environment so that not only can it be healthy for humans, but it can be healthy for the environment, especially if you do, you know, regenerative agriculture and, you know, raise animals properly. So that, that's the film called Food Lies. And yeah, I mean, it's still on Indiegogo and, you know, we're just, we're just trying to finish it up and get it out there. That's awesome, man. Uh, it's super important, you know, in this insane time of misinformation. Um, what, how have you been doing in this whole coronavirus situation? You live in LA? Yeah, I'm in LA. Okay. Uh, I'm doing okay. fine. Yeah, I guess if we, I have a, a lot of opinions on that and we could talk about it real quick. There's time, but yeah, I'm, I'm doing my thing here. I'm doing fine. I have no like dog in the fight, as they say, like, I don't have a big like agenda. It's not like, but I, I just look at science. I talk to a lot of interesting people. And one thing is I'm really into getting vitamin D uh-huh. and going on the sun. So I go out every day. I'm about to go out right now is just lie in the sun, get healthy sunlight. I think it's insane that we've been railing on people for decades, making them scared of the sun when vitamin D is so important. And I posted on my Instagram, all these different studies showing how important it is and how in, in this pandemic that there's way less incidence of severe cases. If you have an adequate vitamin D level, people are doing fine. They're yeah. like all the people who are having severe cases or deaths are with low vitamin D and vitamin D is not just a vitamin. It sounds like, Oh, whatever vitamin C, like who cares? Right. Yeah. I, I kind of agree with like, I don't get into like, Oh, I got to like take all these supplements. No, vitamin D is a hormone. Like it's, right. a, it's like a hormone in your body you need we're talking about all this ancestral stuff. Humans evolved outside. Like we lived outdoors for all of history. And then now we think that we're going to be okay. Just having people cooped up in offices and homes all day and slathering sunscreen on them at nonstop. So it, it's a hugely important topic. Uh, I suggest anyone look up Ivor Cummins. He did a great video presentation on YouTube called D is for debacle. And it goes through amazing science. And I actually just did a podcast with Ivor about the coronavirus stuff and vitamin D and how important it is. And it's a, it's a pillar of your immune system. And, you know, I haven't been sick in five years and ever since I've been, you know, eating mostly animal foods and getting out in the sun. And there's huge, correlations with this that we can see you know for all over the world where even just with disease and the flu it tracks with how much sunlight is available right even some diseases are distance away from the equator right distance away from the equator is how basically a proxy for how much sun and how much vitamin d you can get and Mm -hmm. the incidence of diseases go up as you go away from the equator so all kinds of interesting stuff there but I, I don't know. I just did this whole podcast with Ivor Cummins about how maybe locking people down and, and forcing them to be indoors wasn't the best strategy. Yeah, it seems very counterintuitive and uh, counter the science as far as I understand, you know, what it takes to be healthy and to keep yourself as healthy and energized as possible to fight off any disease, any virus, you know. 
I mean, we live in a world, it's, it's amazing to me that we've gotten to this place now where we've forgotten that, you know, millions and millions of years of evolution, you know, the human animal evolving next to, in the midst of all this bacteria and germs and viruses and microbes, et cetera, how all of a sudden now there's this like super bug that we have no comprehension of that's just wreaking havoc on people, you know, and it's just, it's insane to me. You know, we've lost sight of just the common sense, basic pillars of, you know, human health, basically. Yeah. And it's sad. It's sad that people are so unhealthy, right? We, there's a study showing 88% of Americans are metabolically unwell and it's sad that people are dying from this. And I don't want to take that away or minimize it, but it's, it should be a message that we need to take care of our own health and get back to how the human animal should be living. And that's getting outside and getting adequate uh, exercise and getting good nutrition, which is yeah. animal foods. So hopefully people start realizing that and start talking about it. And they have, I mean, some yeah. of it's been talked about, right? They're, they're showing the high correlation of obesity and type two diabetes and how it's way bigger risk factor. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. absolutely, man. Um, so long story short there, get your vitamin D. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, just listen to more content on it. You know, watch the presentation with Ivor or yeah, yeah. there's a lot to learn about vitamin D. Absolutely. So check out the peak human podcast. Brian Sanders and Ivor, Dr. Ivor, what's his name? Just Ivor Cummins. He's Ivor an engineer, Cummins. actually. Yeah. Um, so before we head out, dude, I'd love for you to give uh, my listeners just kind of a, a brief breakdown, the framework of the sapien diet and the mm. philosophy behind sure. your eating. Yeah, yeah, sure. I guess, yeah, I actually never did exactly cover that, but you kind of did with how you eat. It, it's, a, it's an animal based diet this for all of history i'm telling you we have tons of science showing that we were animal based for all of history so you you, you focus on protein that's a, if you're building a meal you should be what is my protein right yeah. meat fish eggs get yeah. that's your foundation and then around it you can add some of these low sugar low starchy sides like avocado or yeah you know, some, yeah, green leafy vegetables or, uh, I do fermented vegetables that do mushrooms. I mean, it's really simple. It's mainly just realize you don't need to be eating tons of fruits and vegetables. It's not, they're fine, but they're just not the, the health miracle that we've thought they were yeah. right. It, that, that nutrition is pretty simple. If you just focus on protein, embrace fat, minimize carbs, yeah. you know, don't eat all the time. You're right on with the, the kind of intermittent fasting. I don't eat till, you know, one or two every day. It's one fifteen PM. I haven't eaten a speck of food. Yeah. This this is how humans lived, right? We 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 eat a meal of fatty animal foods, then we went a while and didn't eat again. Right. This yep. is just this is how we I reverse chronic disease in the clinic with my doctor business partner. We you know, we do this. This is how we heal people. It's yep. just don't eat all the time. Have two, you know, one to two big meals a day, and you're set. It's easy. Yeah, and the body kind of takes care of the rest. You know, you're naturally full, right? Like satiety is big. That's sort of another psychological conundrum that people are under with this idea that you need three square meals a day, and breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and all this shit. You know, 
Like people it's, are like, well, if I don't eat, how am I going to have energy to get through the day? It's like your it's body crazy. doesn't it's, work like that. It's a snack food industry. It's a food industry that's giving yeah. you these messages. This is it. All came from that because now once people realize you don't need three meals plus two snacks. That, which just sells more food and you know it causes all these problems you can get by with one to two meals a day and be fine and it's it, it's just like liberating once you realize that and oh that you're God. full and you get healthier yeah it's so liberating i've seen you've you've started dipping your toes into the one meal a day i tried a little bit it's not for me specifically uh-huh. i just i don't want to eat that much in one meal i yeah. think it's it's a little extreme and then I think three meals is just too much. Yeah. Six, you know, all these snacks. I think two two meals a day is is great, but people should, yeah, play around with it. It all depends on your goals too. If you're uh, like severely, you need to lose a lot of weight, maybe one meal a day is good. You can get used to it. If you're trying to be an athlete and still lift weights, maybe yeah. three meals a day is okay. But sure. just make them the right foods. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing that I want to throw in there before we uh, roll out of here that I don't think many people realize the problem with fruit specifically is that fruit require different enzymes and bacteria to break down in our gut. So when you mix them with other things, they actually don't get digested and they just sit in your stomach and ferment and cause all sorts of issues. Correct? Yeah. And uh, yeah, all these people who have, yeah, like people think... Yeah, you should just not think. You're just bloated after these meals. Right. Right? And like, I, you, so many problems are caused by just combining these foods. Like you said, it's your gut microbiome. It's this combinations of fats and carbs and sugars. And people, you know, have all this heartburn and all this. I used to have all that kind of heartburn stuff and get bloated after every meal. I have zero heartburn and zero bloated feeling after meals now once you just go to, you know, the animal food side. Absolutely, man. That's awesome. Um, well, dude, I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this knowledge and your, you know, your journey with us and, you know, all the information you've gathered. It's super important. I mean, people need to, I mean, we're in a health crisis right now, you know, mental and physical health crisis in this country and around the world. And it's because there's been a lot of bad information put out there. And I really appreciate guys like yourself, you know, shining a light on these issues that, you know, we're in dire need of this information, you know? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, thanks for having me on to talk about it. Yeah. I think it's very important. It's just let people know the information, you know, make, make your decisions based on good information instead of bad. Absolutely, man. Um, Will you let everybody know where they can find you, where they can follow you? And uh, I'll be sure also um, in post to include, you know, links to all your stuff in the show notes, but let them know like where they can find you on Instagram, et cetera. Yeah. It's food lies everywhere. You just search any platform and it's just food lies. Instagram is at food.lies, YouTube, Twitter, what, you know, I'm there and sapien.org. That's it. I, I highly recommend it. For everybody listening, check him out. He's the man. Brian, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Uh, and I'd love to have you on again, man, when, when we get closer to your film release. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, dude. Uh, well, all right, everybody. This has been another awesome episode with a great guest. Thank you to Brian Sanders. 
at Food Lies. Be sure to check him out. Hang in there, everybody. We're going to get through this together. Use this time to gather as much information and learn as much about yourself as you possibly can. I mean, that's, that's what we've got here in front of us. If you can't go out there and work, take this time to work on yourself. Lots of love to everybody. I'm Evan Britton, and I'm out of here. Peace.